Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. I will be reading from Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the city of, or the, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who fails short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or, build or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The second reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture 
that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the writings of Emmanuel Swedenborg comes this morning from True Christianity, section 784. The new heaven is what creates the inner level of the church within us. The more the heaven grows, the more the new Jerusalem, that is, the new church, comes down from that heaven. This cannot take place in a moment. It comes about as the falsities of the former church are removed. What is new cannot take hold where people have been born into false beliefs, unless those beliefs are first uprooted. Here ends the reading. You know, Victor, you caught me off guard <laughs> earlier. I was about to go into the litany of the Ten Commandments, but I was just so caught up in the brand new organ. <laughs> now, what you all don't know is the organ is about a week old in the space, and it, you can play it off the iPhone. So as I've been doing things in here, getting ready for Easter, I've been playing the organ <laughs> and listening to it. But there was something about it being in worship. It was just a new sound. In fact, one might even say that I've been listening to the organ all week, and I, I more probably, maybe Carlton, because he was in there listening to me when I was playing it. <laughs> By playing it, I mean playing it off my iPhone. I, more than anyone, walked in here knowing what that organ sounds like. But it's not what I expected. When it was married to the hymns, with the voices, it was a different experience. It is not what I was expecting. It makes me think, what did Mary expect when she showed up that morning and looked into the tomb? This particular reading doesn't talk about the really in depth about the, the very first moment, but we know that she goes and sees a stone rolls away and, and runs to the disciples. I, I don't know if she peered in or if she just 
saw the stone. But eventually, the disciples and Mary, they all look into the tomb. What, what did they expect? My guess is when Mary was on her way there, she was expecting to do normal funeral rites. I was expecting that she would um, maybe have some of the traditional ritual things that you would put outside there because as the body decays, it's, it's not pleasant. It has a bit of an odor. You know, we would use oils, perfumes, flowers, and things outside of tombs to help mask that and do things to, to make it so as, as we mourn the loss of someone, we smell something good. What was it that she expected to see that morning? So here we are Easter morning. I was coming in and I was expecting to hear the organ, but I, I heard the organ in a different way. What is it that you're expecting? What do you see when you look in the tomb? She knew it wasn't going to necessarily be pleasant, a happy experience. But she went to the tomb anyway to do her duty. She went there to honor what was lost. She went there in mourning to think about her teacher, who was no longer there. The disciples, by the way, depending on the story you read, the disciples are in hiding for the most part. They're amazed they're not actually expecting. They didn't get it. When Jesus said in three days the temple will be rebuilt, they didn't get it. They were not expecting it. They had preconceptions. They went to the tomb, not expecting to see what was there, but expecting what they were expecting to be there. The tomb was not a place of death, but resurrection. So what is it that happens to you when you look into the tomb? Now I'm going to say something that sounds a little morbid. You are the tomb to some degree. The tomb is a lot about your inner self. To look into the tomb to some degree means to ask yourself, what is it that you're expecting? What are your preconceived notions? The things of this world, they cease to be. They, they break. Times change. Our organ broke. Times changed. We got a new organ. It could be that somebody, when they heard that the organ broke, said, oh my gosh, what on earth are we ever going to do without that organ? And the new organ just sounds so much better. I don't know if anybody remembers the old organ. But we face these moments all the time where we look at what's about to happen and we see the worst possibilities. We mourn the past. We mourn what we know because we refuse to open ourselves up to the possibility that change is good. Words change meaning. Cultures change their context. Change is always happening, and yet throughout all of these things, we have a tendency to hold on to the way it used to be. This is the way we have always done it. I'm assuming people know those words. 
We hear those words all the time. This is the way it should be. I'm, I'm assuming people have heard the ham cooking story before about the person who gets the ham, they cut the end off the ham, and they put it in the roasting pan. And, and in this case, I'm going to say it's the husband cooking, and the wife comes up and says, what? Why did you cut the end off the ham? He said, well, that's how you cook a ham. You always have to cut the end off the ham. And she said, well, why, why do you have to cut the end off the ham? He said, well, this is the way my grandmother taught my mom, and my mom taught me, this is how you cook a ham. So the fight goes on, and finally, pick up the phone, dial it. Mom, can you please tell my lovely wife why it is you cut the end off the ham? Her response, oh, grandma's baking pan was too small. <laughs> right, this, this is the way we've always done it. Nostalgia almost never actually happened. When we make longing claims about the purity and the... In seminary, I'm like, I was the only guy in class, I have to be honest. Everyone talked about... This is what the early church was like. We have to get back to the early church. We have to do it like they did at the time of Jesus. And my response is, don't you think 2,000 years could have made something better? But no, we have this, we want to go back to the original. We want to go back to this past that we don't even know. Resurrection, growth, Transformation only comes when we realize that true life does not lay in the material world and in the things that have happened. True life is about what is going to happen. It's about embracing the fact that we are in a moment right now of infinite possibility. Not. Chains garnered by things that are holding us where we are. What do you see when you look into the tomb? What do you ask yourself when you are facing the various difficulties, trials, tribulations, and joyful things about your life? The tomb is a place where the part of us which is about to enter history is in the process of dying. And it is also the place where resurrection is happening. We are not a genetic code. We are not a social security number. We are not a chemical weight of mass. We are found not in what we have always done. We are only what we are doing. Resurrection, transformation, Easter is not about anything that happened before, but is about what you are about to do. The excitement of not knowing what the next moment is, is an opportunity for us to find God there. God is not among the dead, but the living. God is not in the printed pages of a book, or a bronze statue, no offense. God is action. 
God is in what it is we are about to do. What do you see when you look in the tomb? Roll away the stone and look into your tomb. What is the action of your life? Do you spend more time worrying about things and seeking, than seeking to engage the world? Do you spend more time? A lot of people do. I do. I spend a lot of time. Guilt. Sometimes maybe even feeling victimized. Sometimes wondering why the world is thrusting this existence upon me. And I look at all these things that I cannot change. I look at a history and a past. And, and sometimes I project those things into the future. And I might, I might tweet about them on Facebook, right? That's a good way to solve the world, right? I might, go, I might go to a coffee shop maybe. And I can sit in a group of people and we can all talk about all the problems of the world that we cannot control. But what if, in that moment, rather than taking the time to, to log on to Facebook to wonder if I can troll down through some of my friends who I know I can argue with, or going to the coffee shop knowing where I'm going to get in that, to, that, that moment, what if I took that time to do something that was actually helpful to the world, that actually benefited Someone I cared about. Now, we talk about in this church Swedenborg's concept of, of service all the time. And one of the things that we, we gloss over is we oftentimes think that doing the Christian good service thing is about helping the poor and needy. Guess what? That's not what Swedenborg says. Swedenborg says that being of service, use, and having charity is not based on economic status or class, or anything like that. It's based on seeing the person next to you, regardless of who they are as people. Charity is about loving the neighbor. You do not need a federal tax exemption qualification to have something count as charity. Service is the concrete action we do when our hearts are full of, are full of love and we use the gifts that we have been given. That's Swedenborg's concept of use. If you are good at computer. It's teaching your friend how to access their email. If, you're, if you are good at cooking or washing dishes, it's about showing up and using that skills because through washing those dishes, you are helping your church or you are helping your neighbor. It's the act of use is taking your skills, married to your love of your neighbor, and doing service with those things. In other words, when we are actively loving our neighbor, even with the something we love to do, we are in a moment of transformation. We're in a moment where we are bringing God more fully into this world. We're in a moment we are not fixating on who's buried in the tomb, but we're looking for the Lord in the world. When you look into the tomb, when you examine yourself, when you look at your Facebook posts, your idle chit-chat, when you are being nostalgic, when you're examining your life, what is it that you ruminate on? How do you take the moment of saying, I feel guilty about something that happened in the past, or I feel victimized? What would it mean to turn that into a positive thought? If I feel guilty about something I did in the past, what would it mean to reach out 
out of that feeling and do something good. If, it, if you're feeling victimized, what would it mean rather than to share that in a way that doesn't actively transform, but do something that alleviates the victimization? We spend so much of our lives with our heads stuck in the clouds. And in order to do that, you don't need to be hoity-toity academic. I'm not talking about being distanced. I'm talking about your head being stuck in a realm of thought that never actually touches the ground. What would it mean for you to take those moments, just once a day, really, and deliberately say, what do I see in the tomb? Am I looking into the tomb or am I looking out of the tomb at a new life? You know, I never really went to church until I wanted, until I didn't want to. Does that make sense? There you go. I never went to church until I didn't want to. What I mean by that is, my parents made me go to church at one point. And I went, and when I was there, I was there because they made me. I was there, and I was thinking about pretty much just anything, matchbox cars in the pockets, you know. Every pew becomes a racetrack. When an outside force compelled me to go, I had to go. When the first moment, the first day that I was sitting there saying, well, I don't want to go to church. I have something else to do. Something else that's maybe more fun like sleeping in. And then I went to church. That was the day I first went to church. And I found something on that day, something that I did not expect. I was transformed by going to church because I realized that my own desire for fun, my own desire to please myself was not as healthy as going to church. You see, I was looking at the church as the thing that was boring and a waste of time but what I found out when I started to go to church without anyone forcing me to and saying, I'm going to prioritize this because this is good for me, not because this is fun, but because this is good for me, the experience I had at church was one that transformed who I was. Because at the end of the day, I walked out of that church service. I could still do everything left on that day. I walked out of that church service with ideas and thoughts that I hadn't had before. I saw the world in a new way. What I wanted to do was stay home and be passive. I wanted to let the world around me push me around. But when I went to church that first time, without anyone forcing me to, I discovered a world of active involvement. In other words... Sometimes it's in doing the things you ought to do that you find new life. See, Mary, when she went there, Mary wasn't going to that cemetery because it was fun. She was going out of ritual obligation. She was doing something 
she had to do. The act of living a Christian life has obligations of doing something you may not want to do. And that is finding a way, whether through church, through meditation, through prayer, looking into the tomb and asking yourself, what do you see? If you're in a place like church, I'd like to say that you'd, there might be a message that has you see an active life that brings God into the world using your gifts to love the neighbor is what you will find. What, is, what does it mean for you to participate in making something new? I'm guessing it's not about idle conversation. I'm guessing it is not about Facebook posts or getting more rest. I am guessing that making something new is you using the gifts you have to care about the person who is next to you and seeking to help them become the person they were created to be. That is the story of Easter, and it can happen every day. It can happen every day that you embrace using your gifts to love your neighbor in an active way, especially when you actively are trying to do it. So on this Easter, I hope we all have a moment where we can pause and ask ourselves, what do we see when we look in the tomb? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.